the joke always used to be that the neutral zone in their rink looks like the French flag because the blue line and the red line are just about maybe that width apart and the white in the middle. <laughs> I've never heard that one. That's good. Tech Hockey Guide presents the Chasing McNaughton Podcast, covering the Michigan Tech Huskies and the WCHA with your host, Tim Brown, Rob Gilreath, and Dustin Lindstrom. Uh, welcome to episode 14 of the Chasing McNaughton Podcast. This week, the regular crew is joined by sometimes Michigan Tech color commentator Dave Ellis. Thanks for do- joining us, Dave. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. Uh, Before we get going, we're only three patrons away from our goal of 20 to start the monthly recruiting podcast. If you'd like to join them and help us hit our goal and support the podcast and Tech Hockey Guide, please check out patreon.com slash techhockeyguide. This week, we're going to discuss Michigan Tech with Dave Ellis, especially the Fair State Series, the state of the WCHA, and MTU's home ice prospects. We'll do some trivia again, and we'll cover your questions. Anything big I'm missing this this week, guys? Nope. Think you got it. All right. Let's do the thank you notes plus a brief note from our sponsor, and we'll come back and start with Dave Ellis and Michigan Tech season. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back. Let's talk with Dave Ellis about Michigan Tech and especially the Ferris State Series. Dave, you've had the pleasure of calling, what, 11 games for Tech this year? Between radio and TV, I think I'll be up uh, somewhere in the in the low teens by the end of the year. So, yeah, 11's about right. I may not have called them all uh, necessarily on radio in that point, but I've been to three or four more games that I got to just sit and watch, which was really instructive because – I don't typically get that opportunity, yeah. so I was really excited to see those. I watched both Clarkson games just in the arena and one of the Alaska. So yeah, that's three that I was able to just sit and watch in the rink by myself. So what was your impressions of the first four minutes of Friday night? Because we never got to see that on Flow Hockey. Oh, you didn't! <laughs> no. Wow, and we had a uh, we had a dropout too on the uh, on the radio broadcast. So, looks like Ferris is trying to censor some of that. Yeah, I, I was get, actually, as soon as the feed started working, your radio dropped. So I kind of figured they had a bandwidth issue or something going on there. I know they blamed something about the truck because then on Saturday night, the uh, audio feed was about fifteen seconds ahead of the video for us on Flow. So I finally uh-huh. synced you guys up and uh, gave up listening to the Ferris guys because it was, quite honestly, it was the worst non-Alaska weekend for flow hockey for me. Not great. They had trouble with the clock, too, I know, on the uh, on the feed because it sat on zero for a, a good chunk of Saturday. Yeah, their clock is not tied to the scoreboard. It's all manually done no. by somebody, so they just right. have to keep up to it, and they, they were not doing a good job. I know for a while there it said 
There was two minutes and 22 seconds left and it just sat there or zero or whatever. I'm sure it's the product of the fact that, you know, one of that was one of the benefits of us getting a new scoreboard was being able to tie that stuff in, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, but back to the Friday night uh, start, I've seen a lot of games in uh, in Ferris's rink and I'm not going to try to pronounce it because it's just gone too many different ways. We don't ways. try either. That's probably a smart way to do it. Yeah. I think I finally got it after being there. It's two German words stuck together and I get it now. <laughs> It's Ewigleben. Okay. <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll trust. However you want to say it, I'll, I'll trust that. But I have seen them many, many times come out just like they did, like a house of fire. And you just have to weather the first 10 minutes. And that's pretty much what happened, I think, in both games. I think Saturday was just as slow a start. Uh, Jerusik really came out and played like we hope he would down the stretch, not like what happened last weekend when they ended up in that uh, shootout with – Lake Superior with not a lot of bullets in the gun. So you have to expect it when you go into Big Rapids, and I thought they weathered it really well. The only thing you've got to make sure that you concentrate on when you go into play a game against Ferris, in my mind, that's really hard to deal with is to be strong on your stick in that building. They do a lot of stick work down by the knees, and not I'm not talking about slashing or or just trying to pull you loose. They're just really strong on their sticks, and and they will take the puck away from you very quickly because it's such a small sheet. So I thought after the first couple minutes of adjustment, I I thought Tech did a pretty good job, especially the defensemen, of making sure that they were not getting beat to the puck in those areas where you're battling one-on-one. Yeah, and and they said on the show today, or this week, I guess, by the time everybody hears this, that they did measure today or this weekend. They, they didn't. We actually got word from Kevin Langseth, who's one of the referees' officials, uh, supervisors okay. for the WCHA. He's an old CCHA official and actually grew up in Calumet. Okay. So a local guy. I've, I've known Kevin for a long time. He's the one that did the full measurements. So he came up with the 40 or 84 and 11 inches across and just over 188 feet of a length. And I paced it off just unofficially and got to about 189. So I would believe that. Our Discord chat folks wished we had told them we were going to measure because Rob was going to try with his iPhone. Yeah, the iPhone wouldn't pick up on either end. Apparently it wouldn't play nice with that. <laughs> One of the guys, obviously an engineer, was going to bring his laser uh, rangefinder or whatever and do it. And he would he didn't know till he had already left that we wanted to do that. So we didn't get the chance. But it's nice to know that Somebody got us the answer on that, that it is it probably similar to the old deck that it's because I always thought the deck was about 190. <laughs> I have a friend who's a surveyor that I probably should ask about that one to bring in the, the, the real sight lines and, yeah. and see if they can get that. The joke always used to be that the neutral zone in their rink looks like the French flag because the blue line <laughs> and the red line are just about maybe that width the part of the white in the middle. <laughs> I've never heard that one. That's yeah, good. it's definitely a small building to be in. It was disappointing to see how small the Ferris crowds were. Not the dog pound, you know, something you've seen on the, on the recordings every once in a while when you're, you know, full and active. And there was nobody over there on Friday night, Saturday. It had a little bit bigger crowd, but it was an empty barn. I was down there too this weekend, so that was my first trip over there. And it was, uh, yeah, it, it is disappointing. typically a lot more than that, yeah, that's for sure. That, that's probably the smallest crowd I've seen in that building in that section. Yeah, they are definitely down this year. Well, we had waitresses asking us after the game how the games were and such. And they were surprised that they were as close as they were. So, you know, it's indicative of how their season's going. Yeah. 
for as much credit as we deserve for sweeping, and we did sweep, there's been, I think I think I did the math earlier. Do you, correct me if I'm wrong, because I thought I said there were f- six teams that have come in there for a series, and we're the fourth team to sweep. So it's not like that's an unusual thing this year. And most of the other sweeps were far more dominant on the scoreboard than ours was. Not that five to two isn't bad and getting a shutout is nothing to scoff at. Back to what you said earlier, Dave, I think one of the biggest things we can give Joe credit for this weekend is something we kind of criticized him for last weekend. It, whatever he did to Jerusalem, it kind of worked this weekend. You know, Pulling him, maybe not because of what he did necessarily, but to spark the team and then not dressing him on Saturday, I kind of thought that would blow up in his face. And in the end, Jerusalem responded the way you want a goalie to respond and came out and played great this weekend and got the team, you know, their first shutout since game two of the year and 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 saved Friday night with, you know, no goal there at the end. I know the Harrison Watt thought it went in, and I watched. I actually watched it while I was waiting for Dustin to come over today. I watched it multiple times. And so the one where he laid on his back in the crease? Yeah, it looks to me like it's under his legs the whole time, and as he gets his legs get taken out from under him, the puck's laying there, and an FSU guy kicks it in way after the whistle, so it was never in. Yeah, we could. To we me, were the, we were on the far side of the ring, so we couldn't see that at all. We just saw him. We just saw him laying on his back in the middle of the crease. When we could see it. Yeah. There's no access to a uh, to an overhead angle there either, because what you guys see on the stream is what we get in the building. There is no video feed in the press box that's different from what you would see on the Flow Hockey feed. Okay. So we were kind of waiting around to see what they got. Even the coaches don't get it when they're in the building. That would have been really instructive to see the overhead. I, and I say overhead in that building when you can reach up and swat the ceiling just by standing there. But it, that would have been a much better angle so to see. Up in the stands, I couldn't actually read the scoreboard standing because the angle is so low that the netting hangs down and blocks the scoreboard out. Yeah, no, Dave it, actually made a joke about Dirk having to duck down to watch, check the yeah, scoreboard was, during the game while he's calling it. We were standing in the very last row. Yeah. Yeah. He does. He has to do the limbo to, yeah. to see it. Just because there, there is a clock that's in between the benches behind the, uh, the penalty timer. But because of where we are as the visiting radio booth, it's so far down that the glass that's in there obscures that one too. So he can't <laughs> even see the clock without having to squat down and make it look like he's doing some kind of weird 80s jazzercise <laughs> routine. It's an interesting barn for sure. I, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear more from Rob probably off air about it itself. But it was, it was unique. That's for sure. Yeah. I highly doubt, you know, we, we talk a lot about, and we can, we'll probably get into this later with the seven teams leaving and who's going to be the eighth team and, and a lot of questions about whether or not a team like St. Thomas would be let in right away without a new rank or Arizona State for that matter. And then you look at the Fair State's rink and you're like, well, why are they getting to come along other than location when you have a rink like that? Uh, and it's a good question because it it doesn't seem like it fits with what they want to present for as much success as they've had. It's dwindling now, and I don't know what will happen, you, you know, whenever Bob Daniels retires, but it, it'll it be interesting to see what happens there going forward and in the new league. I kind of, you know, it, it's hard not to see them as the team that kind of gets stuck at the bottom of that new league. Do you, do you think there's the, the reason that Ferris – 
was brought along with is because there's three other Michigan State universities in the league that couldn't, you know, leave one behind. Well, and why would Bowling Green want to leave its closest team? That's true. Like, Bowling Green wants to save budget, so why wouldn't they want to keep the team closest to them? And and we've said this every time we talked about conference reshuffling, Rob, right? There's got to be a punching yeah. bag, right? Somebody's going to sink to the bottom. At this rate, with the way this season is gone, we might be on the bottom of it ourselves again. <laughs> Rob, be positive. Sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to take hot shots. I think that the GLIAC relationship is really big on that one, too, that you've got three other schools with the like-minded league in a different couple of sports, Yep. And and that relationship, I, I think, plays well for Ferris because they've got other teams and other schools that are related to them in other sports. No, it's, it's hard to deny that there's a, a relationship there between that, plus then you add um, Bowling Green's closest opponent in the new league, and and you see a reason why they're included, but it's hard to get past that rink when, we're, when we spend so much time complaining about what happened in Anchorage and the situation in Huntsville with... Well, granted, that one's plenty big. It's just not many people come, and, and it hasn't been a good program, and they, they keep getting finding ways to you know fall down. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard to see what you know what holds for that league, and I and I don't know what you can really say on air about what you've heard about that. But I I actually have a call with Morris Kurtz, I believe, tomorrow, so maybe we'll be splicing in a couple minutes of that if if it goes anywhere who knows how that goes or how good it'll sound when i probably be in ashland wisconsin when he calls me so who knows i i will say this that if you're looking for somebody with that kind of a building and and you want to placate bowling green a little bit i think it's worth asking adrian if they want to play up as as a d3 right now if they want to move up again they've looked at d2 in a couple of different sports, their building is just as good. They're a very successful hockey team right now in D3. I went down to a game at Arrington a couple weeks ago when I didn't have anything else to do. Was impressed with it. The, the arena's good. They get good support. A lot of people in there. I actually watched Andrew Ballant, the former Husky, who's now the leading scorer for the Adrian Bulldogs, okay. play pretty well. And, and I think they would be a pretty good fit and not a whole lot different from what you get from Ferris. Yeah. Well, I think you've got, you know, you've got St. Thomas. I don't think Arizona State's going to happen because I don't think our league is going to let them in with that rink. And I think if they get another rink, they're not going to join our league. So it's it's that catch-22 for, for where we're at, that their aspirations are above us. I think Arizona State at this point has proved that they can hang as an independent base tournament on a regular basis. Why do they need to join the league at this point? Yeah. Unless more develops out west, where you know it's more packed dead teams, they've been they've proven they can be successful without a league. They're not like Huntsville, where they're struggling without a league. Well, you want you want to play good teams when you play non-conference. So, and Arizona State's been good. And who doesn't want to take a trip to Arizona in winter? It's it's easy to see why teams go there and want to go there. Not to mention the fact that you're playing a name brand, even if it's not a hockey blue blood but it's a good place to go visit for a weekend we like going there i mean i will say this though that the big 10 has proved that seven can work 
Yeah. Because at the end of the season right now, there is a huge carrot waiting out there for whoever ends up on top of that pile and wins the regular season championship. A, you're not going to get bashed around the first weekend. And B, you're going to bring everybody onto campus to play the semis in the final at your barn. And that is a huge reward for what's been a, a very difficult season and a hard one to to slog through for any one of those seven teams. Yeah. So seven's not a bad number either. No, I like the idea of the balanced schedule. Minnesota's on top over there, aren't they? No, they're sunk it behind Penn State, I think. I, I think they're tied now. Are they tied? Yeah. Okay. It, it, it could change by night. I, I think we've seen Friday night before a game and Saturday after a game. It's changed three times. Yeah. And, no, and who's been wearing the standings. Yeah. It's been interesting for sure. If, if we take that same format, then it's just going to turn into the Mankato hosting the WCHA tournament every year. Is that how it is that the, the final four teams all go to one the, the campus rink at number one? Yes, okay. the, the uh, it's it's two plays seven, three plays six, four plays five. The three winners advance and uh, they reseed, and then the semifinals are the lowest seed against the host team, and then two versus three, and then the winners play off for the championship. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I I kind of have a feeling we just stick to what we've been doing and just have a first seed number one team by, but who knows. It is going to be fun when that's at Mariucci and nobody still shows up to the games. <laughs> that's what I was trying to say earlier. <laughs> yeah. Play it at the Ritter. That'd be better anyway. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> right. No, I think I don't have a problem with seven because I like the balanced schedule. I think it helps, too, that you have, you'll have you have seven in the Big Ten and, and seven in our league, most likely, which allows you that you know either you've got Arizona State or you've got a Big 10 team that you can play that last weekend to so, so whoever has that last bye week can still have games and and not just have the potential of having two weeks off before they play again which I don't think any team would really want that but I think it's good cuz you get 24 games you get what 10 non-conference games without playing Alaska I think that's a good place to be. I think that's why the NCHC does 24 as well. And it gives you a little bit of flexibility for if a St. Thomas or Adrian, like was mentioned, wants to join the league, you have a spot for him. You do. You're not bending over backwards to go to an 11-team league or something like that like you've seen in the past. Yeah, I and I don't think they're going to be in any rush to add an eighth team unless something happens. But, you know, we've had those discussions multiple times about the odds of Western or Miami doing anything. And, and that seems like such a pipe dream with the fees. And, and the NCHC as a group, why would they – like maybe Miami wants to, maybe Western wants to from a, from a travel budget standpoint, but from a competition standpoint, I don't know why anybody would want to – leave that league and or why the other teams would want change to happen right now with the way things are going for them. No, they're just starting to make money on that league. Yeah. And one that was the, the all important part there too. They've got the TV deal. They're making some money in their playoffs. And by being a middling 500 team in that league, you're in the NCAA tournament. So what's the advantage of leaving? Especially when, 
if we go down to 24 games, it makes it that much easier for Bowling Green to play Western and Miami and, and Ferris to play those teams. And, and it makes it a lot easier for all of us to kind of play those teams close by and still get a chance to go play Clarkson or go out to Vegas for a tournament or whatever. You get more opportunity without having to take on the, the responsibility of going to Alaska. And we can, as long as there's still a team there, we can still do a home and home with Alaska over or Anchorage over two years, and you get the exemption on the one trip. I'd really like to make a trip to somewhere like Clarkson for a road trip one year. Yeah, I just really wish that they scheduled them in the second half of the season. But yeah, it's hard. It's sometimes hard to pull that stuff off between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah, I, I just uh, my my schedule's always so bad at and the start of the problems. season, and you have problems with fall for harvest and everything. Yeah. And maybe with the f- the flexibility of that twenty four game schedule and the fact that it we're going to have bye weeks, mm-hmm. that it's more likely that one of those will happen in January, February. Yeah, that would be great. Versus right now, and an, and an, another Vegas trip would be <laughs> a lot of fun. <laughs> that would be nice. And we know from from talking before that Joe understands the value of a tournament from a pairwise perspective. So I know he's trying to do that stuff. And I know Suzanne likes the exposure of getting close to our, our Southwest alumni, whether it's Arizona or Vegas to allow those fans to get closer to some games. It's not a bad thing at all. We we had a great time in Las Vegas and there were a lot of tech fans there that had a great time. There are a lot of Northern fans there that had that, that we were playing cornhole out in the middle of the patio by the, the the arena with a bunch of northern fans right before the game it was a, it was a great time and you know 75 degrees and sunny and uh, i would go back to a vegas tournament in a heartbeat it was it was one of the best you know road trip experiences that i've had good times Nothing like getting out there, and then you can put some money on the Huskies to win the tournament or somebody else, right? I couldn't find anybody that actually had the had the game or, on the or, board. Or the, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I looked. <laughs> I like it better when Tech doesn't fall in the field either for the Frozen Four stuff because 20 to 1 or whatever it was is not good enough for, for that kind of stuff. Um, Let's see. So, Dave, you you we were talking a little bit before we started about some of the the things you've noticed from tech because you've gotten to see them throughout the season in person. What are your, what's your perception of where the team is right now and why they've struggled this, the second half of the season? Well, I, I've been breaking down where all the goals have come from both for tech and for their opponents uh, for the year. And the, the numbers that we kind of mentioned that it got kicked around. If you, heard the question in the Joe Schonauer last week about goals on the rush. That was me that sent that one in. And Dirk called me out on it afterward of the Joe asked, who asked that question? And Dirk says, who do you think asked that question? <laughs> so here, here's the telling stat for me. In the first half of the season, which I'm calling the first 21 games ending uh, with the Clarkson series. And that to me defined the first half. So GLI starts the second half of the year. Those first 21 games, the Huskies gave up 13 goals, even strength, in their own zone. And I defined that as once the two defensemen are both set up inside the blue line, that now counts as zone play. That's not a rush anymore. So 
those goals just kept going in even strength. And it took them a while to figure out what was going on. Now, since then, since that Clarkson series, and actually even before that, dating back to the second game in Alaska, they've only given up four goals inside their own zone in a five-on-five situation. And three of them have come in the last four games. So they've really done a great job cleaning everything up inside their own zone. Now, that has come at an expense, though. Because the goals off the rush, which we talked about, the first 21 games, only seven goals given up on the rush. Since then, 16 of them. And that's in less than 21 games. So right now, transition is what's killing them. And and if they can find a way to clean that up, I I think that puts them in pretty good stead. Uh, Offensively, the numbers are pretty constant as you go through, except that the power play has just fallen off the map. They had 14 goals inside the zone on the power play in the first half, only five since then. So and a lot of that feels yeah. like it's Keegan Ford, who was kind of a big part of that early on. Yes, and now he and he was gone, and now he's trying to get back into a rhythm. And he did score over the weekend, and I was really curious to see. Joe kind of tipped us off that he was going to tinker with that second unit, and having three D out there and putting Datama right on top of the hash marks was something that Ferris had obviously no idea was coming because they didn't know how to deal with him in the middle of the ice. He had at least four good chances to score the whole weekend and didn't. So that's still something you got to clean up. But I I don't know that I had ever seen a goal scored where the goal scorer and the two guys that get credited with assists all were defensemen on the same scoring play, which was – different for sure, but uh, that kind of shows you that I've seen four forwards all the time. I've seen five forwards. I hadn't seen 3D on a power play before, but it actually worked pretty well. Yeah. It seemed really weird to see him. It's like he was way high up. We, we talked about this. We actually we, we saw him sitting up there in the high, because he was high on the slot. He wasn't He wasn't in the goalie's face at all. He was kind of centralized there right between the dots, almost providing like a first layer screen, if you will. It's not something I've seen on a power play before where someone is posted up almost that high where he was. Well, Ferris does a lot of puck pressure on the points. And because of where Datama was and the the ability to get him the puck quickly, they couldn't go out and pressure really hard on either of the point men on that power play. It kind of backed them off a little bit because they didn't know what to do with them. That gave Sawyer and Ford a little bit more room, moved to move the puck around a little bit, and it actually created some gaps down low, too. So they couldn't be anywhere near as aggressive as they were with the other unit because that didn't exist out there. So you don't ever want to run an umbrella power play against Ferris. They will eat it alive with how active their forwards are and the two guys up top of the box that are killing it. Overloads don't really work very well either. You've got to be able to use the full width of the ice or find a way to call those guys off and make sure that they're not out harassing the point men. This system worked really well. So whoever came up with it in practice was very adept at coming up with a way to neutralize the way that Ferris kills a penalty. Hmm. Interesting. So from your perception, did it feel as lopsided for shots as was credited? No. I. It's always going to happen that when you're in somebody else's building, the shot totals are going to be inflated one way or another. They didn't put a, a shot up on the board after Ray Bryce had scored for at least another four minutes yeah. on, on Friday night. It, it just sat there on eight, and you're looking up like, guys, there was a goal 
<laughs> He's got to at least have something up there. I don't care who shot it. There's got to be a shot on goal if there was a goal scored. So um, they don't have you know, a, a crack stat staff. They had a busy weekend there with two basketball games on Thursday, two on Saturday. They don't have a huge staff. So, you know, I, I don't know who was doing their shots on goal or even how they were tabulating that. So I, I can't put a whole lot of blame onto the stat crew. But those are all unofficial to start with, too. And once you go back and start counting on the sheet, the numbers were different than what you saw displayed in the arena. Yeah. That said, it definitely – the play did feel lopsided for quite a long period of time down there. It did. Harris, Harris it, did dominate large sections of the game. And there was you know, times when you're sitting there on the end and you haven't seen the puck come down for quite a while because it's just in the next end. So it was it was more lopsided than the scores made it out to be from a pass possession in the zone time, I would guess. It never did really feel, though, like there were a couple of games like the Anchorage series where – Tech's just pushing and pushing and pushing, and every once in a while, Anchorage would come out with some kind of a break up the ice and maybe get a shot on goal. And it also didn't feel like the shift times were too long because that's always been, at least for the past 20 years, where I've always seen Tech break down is when you get trapped on the ice, you're out there for 90 seconds, for two minutes, and eventually you're just too tired to be able to defend. They never got to that point over the weekend. They were able to keep the shifts relatively short, and that can be a problem in that building because it's hard to change quickly because everything moves so fast with 12 feet of ice missing. You you don't have a chance to really clear it down and and find ways to get your – players over and, and get that change. Ferris loves the chip off the glass, and now they've learned that little soft flip through the middle. And and those two things give them the time to get back up and get their, their guys changed. And I think Tech picked up on it by the end of the weekend, and they were using those same strategies. Yeah, it did seem like this was probably their best weekend in a long time when it came to the second period. Yes, definitely Saturday, for sure. Yeah, of course. That was the end we were farthest away from. But it, <laughs> The second periods, they spent more time down far away from us. It felt like more than uh, more than they ever felt in front of us. You know, for the two periods, we were behind the Ferris goalie for two periods, really. So, where they put all the opposing fans. Well, that's when they're closest to us in the radio booth, though. So I, I can't <laughs> complain too much about that. But no, on the scoreboard, they didn't really they didn't get dominated like they have this year. Like the second period, it's felt like there's just. And I don't like throughout the year, it's felt like there's something off with how they try and change that when they get the long the long change they've really struggled this year and maybe that's just the whole matter of what you said where they they spend their entire shift fighting then they get it chipped out and change and then they go do it again and it reminds me of the old russell era where that happened a lot that's pretty much the hockey tech hockey i grew <laughs> up watching but let's get dominated get really tired all north dakota scored but it was good to see i mean even on saturday they outshot them uh, what was it, 14-6 to six in the second period, kind of almost got the shots back to even, Yeah, and then didn't score, but they, they didn't give up a goal either. No, Ferris was good about taking away a lot of the good scoring opportunities, and I think we mentioned on the broadcast that maybe the way to break this is you're going to have to activate a D in the rush, and that's how they got the goal from Colin Swoyer. Yeah, Swoyer was not where he was supposed to be. <laughs> it was going to take somebody to get into a lane that wasn't accounted for. Yeah, which is okay because it was on the rush, so they, they knew to cover for him, Rob. It's okay. Right. right. Yep. <laughs> when the D-man's the one bringing the puck in the zone and passing it and continuing his drive to the net, I think they know what to do. Yeah. So I think it was okay, yep. and it, it was, worked out. way so. down deep there. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, it was just it was just the starting drive of it either. He, I think he had the initial zone entry, right? He did. Then, yep. Did he, have the, did he pass it off or did he have a shot? I think he passed it off. He passed it off and then continued to drive and kind of screen the goalie as the shot came in and then got the got the deflection and took the shot and put it in. It was a good uh, was a good weekend. And I go back to a lot of the people in the Discord chat were kind of disappointed not to see Beidoun after what you know after getting the win in at Carnival and then what Jerusik had done the night before. But Jerusik's Joe's guy this year, I didn't fault him for going back to it and it obviously worked it's a good thing it's a good sign to see you know i don't think he made as many saves as was well you know as credited maybe that's right and maybe we didn't get it credit for enough saves i don't know but it's nice to see him step up and get a shutout we haven't seen that since robert morris and and put us at least in the possibility of home ice i don't see it happening I have to tell you, I am a big Robbie Baydoon fan. When I played goalie, I was the kind of scrambler like Robbie is. And that's not a scrambler goalie building. You've got to be able to stay compact and you've got to be able to stay composed. And uh, Robbie's just a different kind of goaltender. He goes out and attacks the puck. You can't do that in that building because it just moves too fast around you. So in, in some place with bigger square corners like Colorado College or at Mariucci, he's the perfect goalie for those. Not in that building. I, I think tactically that Jerusik's style of play was the better choice, and I think that was borne out by the way that he played calm and compact the whole weekend. Did you catch the show today or this I morning? Did. Yeah. Did you? So I was kind of shocked to hear that Baydoun's graduating and has the possibility of grad transferring, and I, you know, that puts that can certainly put Tech in a hard spot here when they don't have a goalie committed yet, so they're left with Piedela. Not that is a bad goalie, and I expect him to do well throughout his career, but that could be very interesting for Tech if they if they lose Beidoun to someone else. Well, you, you, get, you, have, you have to have a back, a solid backup. You can't be one injury away from complete disaster. No, but, it, but it's not a matter of... And I'm sure there are recruits out there that are worth getting, but Joe has not gotten a goalie to commit yet, to to be the third string and maybe some of that is trying to figure out if whoever he's trying to get it's going to be a number two or a number three type guy i mean you, you never know if he does grad transfer tech may have a grad transfer incoming that they have their eyes on potentially it's possible who knows a goaltender is definitely the easiest position to do that kind of stuff with when you don't necessarily have i mean obviously we've done it Minnesota State's done it, and it's it's worked out sometimes. I mean, it, who the wasn't there a kid from St. Lawrence that transferred to Wisconsin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hayton, so, Kyle Hayton. Yeah, so that that look what Frank different. Marat's doing it at Clarkson right now yeah. after transfer from Robert Morris. He's probably one of the best goalies in the country this year. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out for the team going forward. Robbie is a great goalie, but you go look back at his like game log in juniors. And he'll have back-to-back shutouts, and then he'll give up a five or six just because of the way he plays that he can steal a game, but he can also really stink it up one night and just give up some goals that Jerusik probably wouldn't. Home ice. So playoff status gives Michigan Tech a 14% chance at home ice right now with Northern at 80 
which isn't that surprising. And then Alaska at, well, northern at 85, Alaska at 56, and Bowling Green at about 44. I'd be surprised to not see Bowling Green move up, given how close everything is. Well, so Alaska only has Anchorage left, and if they get any points, I think. Um, no, they have to get four to be able to clinch. To clinch over who? Us? or o- like, Over both? Michigan Tech. Yeah, but they, they could still be... So they, Alaska's got a bye week, right? They're, they're off this weekend as well, I believe, right? Yes. And you've got UAA, right. who's had an absolute stinker of a season, but can still keep playing. So they're, they're playing, and it's Governor's Cup, so... I'm not writing off UAA this weekend either, right? I mean, that's their big rivalry. And it's and it's up for grabs because they didn't they did they split the first one? I don't remember. Yeah, they they split the first one, so it's totally up for grabs. And is it in Fairbanks or is it in Anchorage? I think it's in Fairbanks. It's in Fairbanks. They split in Anchorage. Yeah, because remember, um, Fairbanks couldn't get in the locker yeah, room right. because <laughs> of the swimming meet. <laughs> so yeah and they've got oh it actually has ferris as better odds of getting eighth but not controlling their own de- well probably because they have eight or four games left on like or not anchorage has four two yeah so i don't really know tech is more than likely six i guess dave we talked about this a little bit before we started you have a feeling that maybe if we if we do anything it's leapfrogging north if Northern doesn't take more than three points against Lake Superior, I think that I think the Huskies catch him because I I just have this feeling right now with the way that Northern's playing that that's got sweep written all over it the last weekend and right now Northern with a win next weekend gets to forty seven which is what the high end of what Tech can do is but a sweep then gives Michigan Tech the tiebreaker so Lake Superior cannot really move out of the seventh spot in my mind unless they can come up with something next weekend and and get points against Northern. They're not playing badly right now. They've gotten some some secondary scoring from Gelsinger and, and Calder and Humitz is still hot. They're starting to maybe figure it out a little bit. I, I don't think that there's anybody on the Wildcat roster that thinks we're going to go roll into Sault Ste. Marie and just waltz out with six points the way that they're playing. So, you know, they had that stretch early in the year where they lost six out of eight. Now they've lost four in a row, and I'm sure confidence is at a pretty low level. I'm told there are some injuries they're fighting as well, and well, they're kind of down on themselves right now. So it would be a, a stretch to think they can come in there and, and get a sweep, and that would be really big for them to get in. The one thing, if I'm Michigan Tech, that I just can't imagine the scenario that if you win the game – on senior night at home against Northern Michigan, bunch of things that you want to happen, but you know that game is going to send you to Alaska. Yeah. Where's your mind in that one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, you can't worry about that. I know I've seen some guys say that we should lose to Northern if it means going to Alaska, but you can't. No, that's not. That's not the it's way we play. It's a hard sell. Just take, yeah. take, what, take what comes. I'd rather finish fifth. It looks, you know, it looks better. I don't, you know, it's not fun to go to Alaska that way, but I don't know. 
It would be, but wouldn't it be fun to get the chance to go up to Alaska and avenge the way we've played them so far this year? No, you know, I I don't want any piece of them. (laughs) (laughs) I I, want to stay away from it. I I would love for Anchorage to just take a couple of points from them. There is a scenario where Northern Michigan, Alaska, Michigan Tech, and Bowling Green can all end up on the same number of points. Yeah, and then what? (laughs) Which, Which would be just chaos. Yeah, I don't know how that all works. I know we lose tiebreakers to Alaska and Bowling Green. And for that to happen, you'd have to win the tiebreaker with Northern. Yeah. So yeah, we'd all have to end up on forty-seven, right? There is a way they can all end up on forty-four. Okay. Even. I suppose. Yeah. I think that's one of my favorite things about the current playoff format. Right? Well, no, they can't, because Northern would have to get somebody between Tech and Northern would have to get points the last weekend, and one has forty-four already. Right. So. Well, you can get to forty-five, maybe. It depends on what happens this weekend with Northern and what they've got going in. Yeah. It's just it's so hard to speculate with another weekend in between. That's the hard part right now. It's definitely a weird spot for Tech to have a bye. I yeah. assume this came out of either Tech not wanting to go to Alaska this weekend and it get moving moved early, or I, I don't really know why it's happening at this point in time. It's it's a weird spot to have a bye to me. But it happened. We joked about the WCHA scheduling last week, so that's enough. If you're looking at maybe the possibility of home ice happening, the good news is for this weekend is that Ferris has to have points, and that means they're going to have to play hard against Bowling Green, so maybe it's not a slam dunk for the Falcons to come up with with six and just walk away with it. So Ferris has something to play for. Anchorage that last weekend has something to play for. Bemidji this weekend? I, I don't know. Have you? Do you think you've done enough if you're Bemidji right now to just secure second place and we'll let the chips fall where they may? Or do they think they can still win it? Oh, no. They're playing for an at-large. They lose to a That's la- also they, true. They lose yeah. to Anchorage, and they don't get an at-large. They need to sweep to get that at-large bid. So That's true. And really, Bemidji's one of the hottest teams in the country right now. They've, I wouldn't want to play them in the first round of the NCAA tournament either if they get an at-large. Well, that's no. one of my favorite things about this new format is we actually do have teams at the bottom uh, that have things to play for. You're not just coasting into the playoffs at 8th, ninth, you know, and 10th place. You have to make that cut. And the teams are close enough right now where there is actually, you know, viable competition between the teams at the bottom to actually keep playing. Yeah. Well, and I think... You know who knows what happens this weekend, but you could be going into that last night with beating Northern gets you fifth, but you're going to Bowling Green with Alaska and Bowling Green finish third and fourth. So yep, and you won't know because all those games are going to be finishing later than your game. Yeah, or at least around the same time. You'll at least have a clue, I guess. It'll be interesting no, to see how the you won't because that that game with Huntsville and Bowling Green is two hours later. Oh. It's still a six o'clock face-off in Houghton. It's an eight o'clock face-off in Huntsville, and even later in Alaska. Okay. So you won't have even but, an inkling but, I mean, of what's you're going, going on. Into that last night, having a clue of maybe what the possibilities are. Yeah, you know, like you'll know whether or not we're leapfrogging Northern going into that last night with a win. True, and then you should have a clue because Bowling Green's played three games. Whether or not they have a chance at having home ice, and and that kind of stuff. Not whether or not they'll win, but. I mean, it is Huntsville and it's Bowling Green, so I would you're you're expecting them to win. I mean, really, you're expecting 
Bowling Green to win four games. But we saw what Tech did in the same situation, and it wasn't what we thought. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens there, for sure. It's it's very easy to think right now. If Tech sweeps, you've put 47 on the board, and Alaska's sitting on 46 going into that last game, and Bowling Green's sitting on 46. So each of them has to do something. It's kind of like golf. You know, put the... Get in the clubhouse, put the score on the board, and make them chase it. Yeah, and and who knows? You never know what can happen when you put that pressure on. And maybe it maybe it'll end up being a good thing that we play early enough that they know they need to win and they get a little nervous about it. Who knows? Let's do Mike's question and see if Dave has an opinion on this, and then we can kind of get into the numbers I dug up. So Mike Antleitner, our columnist, actually asked in our Discord chat, why don't more college goalies make it to the NHL these days? Boy, that's a great question. It is. Uh, my short answer is there are so many goalies in the pipelines for all of these teams. And it's I think it's easier to identify a goalie early and what they're going to do. Even a guy like Jamie Phillips, who's just been languishing in the in the pros where you would have thought he could make a move up. Look what's in front of him. Goalies last a lot longer. I, I think the good ones in the pros, you don't see the turnover as much. So once you get in, something like Phoenix Copley has done, you're you're in pretty good shape. But because of that long-term investment, I think that that teams get in, it's harder for goalies to break in because maybe they're not the ones that have been in the pipeline. If you're in that pipeline for the NHL, you probably haven't been spending your whole college career in getting ready to to go and and play pro you've been playing juniors or someplace else or they've snatched you up early i don't see a lot of guys who've gone free agent after four years that are able to make that jump and if you got drafted you're probably not going to spend your whole career in there are some great goalies who've made some moves but i I just it's not the trend of the way that it's gone i know you you pulled you pulled a bunch of current stats to him right well i mean look look back look back at text history right jamie round Played what one game? Job. Yep. And he was an absolute beast of a goalie. There goes the damn train. Well, I top. think a lot of it. I think this question comes out of the fact that you see a ton of skaters make it or get a chance. And I think I think Dave hit on the answer is, you know, there's longevity in skaters, but there's also 20 or 18 that play every night. So there's more opportunity for, you know, uh, um. Now I lost his name. The guy, Jason Zucker, like there's more opportunity for him to get ice time at the NHL level as a skater. Whereas, you know, you basically have two goalies and the backup may be good, may not be good, but he's been around for 10 years most of the time, or you have a prospect. And I think the, the Euro imports have really impacted that too, where my numbers, I, I went through all the goalies that played 10 games this year. And there are 30 guys that came up through the Canadian major junior route. There's 25 that came from Europe. And I think three of the European guys are included in that Canadian route because they came over and went to the Western Hockey League or, or Central League or, or Quebec or whatever. And then there are 12 guys that went to college for some length of time. And you look at that list and it's actually a pretty interesting list because it's got names that have been around for a while and it's also got names of guys that haven't, I, I guess, there aren't a lot of newer guys. I guess Demko is probably the newest one on the whole list. Because we got Ben Bishop, Cam Talbot, Connor Hellebuck, 
uh, Curtis McElhinney, Aaron Dell, Alex Daylock, Thacker Demko, Ryan Miller, Brian Elliott, Jonathan Quick, Carter Hutton, and Jimmy Howard. And I can't. Demko's got to be the newest one on that list. Demko and Hellebeck would have been pretty close to around the same time, I would think. Uh, maybe. But, you know, McElhinney was a goalie, I think, back when Tech made Final Five. I think he was on that CC team we beat, or around that time. Or possibly he was on the team uh, when we started Misfits. <laughs> so it's been a while. Right. How long has Ryan Miller been playing in the NHL, right? I mean, Pushing 20 been, years. He left Michigan State in yeah, 2002. Yeah, he's been there forever. Yeah. Jimmy Howard's been in the league for a long time too. Yeah, and I so I went back and I did the year before the lockout, oh three, oh four, and there are nine college goalies, so we're actually getting better. But I think I think the biggest issue is longevity, so it's harder to break through. But once you get that chance, you know, you've got the chance to have that longevity. So back in oh three, oh four, there are nine, and it was Dwayne Dwayne Rollison, Eddie Belfour, Marty Turco, John Graham, Ty Conklin. Rick DiPietro, Cujo, Garth Snow, Mike Dunham, and our old goalie coach, Steve Shields. So, you know, it, not a whole lot has changed because it's still 33 CHL guys and 20 guys from Europe. So it's pretty similar. I think, you know, I think you, I think sometimes we overestimate how good a kid is, but I also think, you know, you said it right that a drafted kid. If you don't get drafted, your odds of getting somewhere in, in from a goalie standpoint aren't aren't that good. And then you look at a kid like Redman who left after one year, thought we thought he'd get somewhere, and he's basically gotten chances in the AHL and then basically wallowed in the the ECHL and and the ECHL has you have the chance to get out of it, but for the most part if you end up in that league, you're not going to get to the NHL unless you do some great things. Cause even like, I think Josh Robinson had a couple really good years there and he never got a sniff of the AHL. Even it's kind of weird how that can be. And I think some of it is teams. I think goaltending maybe more than other positions. You get hung up on that investment as a draft pick. Yeah. And you, for sure you hang on to that draft pick and give them every chance to, to produce. And then you give up at a certain point, but you just hang on for a very long time and then you get stuck and that's where a guy like Copley or or Redmond kind of gets stuck, or or Phillips even, uh, or going back to Teslak getting. Um, but that was more of a medical issue where the Flyers kind of screwed him up. But you know, All right, you, you you said the name, so I have to throw in uh, my my favorite college hockey impression is Red Berenson talking about Marty Turco. Okay. That if you remember the the kind of dead fish look that Red would give all the time when he'd do an interview where. It looked like you've been embalmed or something that he'd, he'd just give you the same flat answer of, I believe Marty Turco is the best goaltender in college hockey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, every time. They're a good team. We are too. If we play them again, we might beat them. It's just a shame this game wasn't in the final. <laughs> Jeez, Red. Well, nice to see that they got you out of the casket for this one. <laughs> good question, yeah, I thought it was a good question, too. Dustin, time for your trivia for all three of us, I guess. Yes. So I put together another trivia, like last week. Uh, we're Love going it. to do it a little different. Instead of muting anybody, we're going to take turns 
and whoever is left standing at the end is the winner. This is a lot of pressure on me here, you know. Yeah, Mr. Trivia. I feel like I'm, uh, I'm not going to be in good shape on this one. There are 36 answers on this one. That I was telling Tim beforehand, Ooh. this is one where there's going to be some pretty easy ones at the beginning, and then it's going to get pretty tough towards the end. So we should be, we should go for a little while at least. All right. And I have not heard the question yet. That's all he told me. No one has heard the question. And uh, so this is kind of throwing back to uh, we last week we talked about the decade team. So this is another the last decade question. And uh, the question starts in uh, January 1st, 2010, and it goes through December 31st, 2019. So it's that decade. And in that 10-year stretch, I want you to name the venues in which Michigan Tech has played a hockey game. <laughs> okay. All right. Who wants to go first? Let's let Rob go first. Uh, the Carlson Center. Carlson Center? Dave? Uh, I'll take the easy one off the board first and say the John McInnes <laughs> Student Ice Arena. I will go with wherever Ferris State plays to get that one out of the way. I go with the little bit. I, I pronunciation yeah, you, you, you gotta at least try to pronounce the, the name of the arena not just the school so I'll okay. count that since you said yeah because there, there are some where we've played more places <laughs> right yeah okay all right Rob Taffy Abel Taffy Abel okay uh the Barry Event Center Tim I'm trying to figure out where to go the Cole Center breaking yeah. up the auto conference well, no, it was in conference way back when, too. It's so. out of conference, too. So, yeah, it's always been bold. Yeah. <laughs> trying to think if that happened in this decade. Rob. The Ralph. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll go with the former WCHA angle and say Magnus Arena. Yep. This is an interesting question. I like this, actually. Good work. World Arena? CC? Yeah. Colorado, Colorado Springs World Arena. Yeah. Sullivan. All right. Uh, Amsoil. Yeah. You had, what, 36 for this? There are 36. We, we need the name of the rink, not just the school, right? Name of the rink. <laughs> yeah. Little Caesars. Little Caesars, yep. Well, I'm going to stay on that angle and go with Joe. Joe Lewis. Then I'll stay with it, too, and say Comerica Park. <laughs> There's your that is, That's a good one. <laughs> See, about, I, like, uh, I know where we played, but I have no idea what the heck the rink is called. That's here. my problem um, with some of these other conferences. Like, I know universities I want to say, but I can't think of the name right now. And that's going to really bother me. Von Brown? Yep. Yep. The Madhouse on Mercer is Bowling Green's right now. That's not the name of the rink, though. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I think we can give it to him. Yeah. We know what he's talking about. Yep. It's not the school. Well, th- there would be two acceptable answers that you could have either said they played when it was still the BGSU Ice Arena or now the Slater Family Ice Arena. We'll give it to you. Uh, I got to go with the one right down the street from me right now at Mon Ice Arena. Yep. Oh, so that means I should go with the name of a football coach, but I can't think of it. <laughs> 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 Let's see. We're uh, Mariucci. Yep. Yost. Yost? Yeah, there you go. The football Robbie coach. Yost. 
T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Yep. Is that where it was? That was where yep. it was. Okay. Yep. That's Is that where the Knights play? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that other tournament was not there, though, right? Where North Dakota and no, that was that wasn't a tournament. Oh, the the North, North Dakota, Dakota and Gophers played just a series. Okay. Oh shoot! I went out of order. Go Tim. You didn't hear me, anyways. What's that? Nothing. Go Tim. Oh, <laughs> it's my turn. Yep. No, didn't I just? Oh, I did Mariucci, and then you did what, Rob? He said Yoast. And then okay, and then Dave yep. said something. Verizon Wireless Center, or whatever it's called now. Uh, yep. The Gila River Arena. Gila River. Yeah, that was the one I was thinking of earlier, but I didn't know yep. the name. All right. All right. Uh, one game there, the U.S. Bank Arena in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. I was there, <laughs> and I couldn't remember the name of the damn place. <laughs> so I'm glad you took it. <laughs> uh, I just had one. Shoot. What was it? Um, Oceanside. Nope. That, ha- that happened in January. Oh, that happened in January. <laughs> I'm out. We didn't play there before this. Oh, the time before uh, was, the at time the tournament. Tournament. Oh. was at the tournament. Yeah. All right. January All right. 3rd. I was off by three days. Yep. <laughs> I'm out. Rob. Um, Shields Arena. Yep. Shields Arena. Is that the Clarkson one? Nope. No, Shields was the regional was in, the Saint, regional. in Fargo. Oh, that's right. Okay. Uh, the, then I, I better take it back off. Then then Chiel Arena, Chiel the Arena, home of Clarkson. Yep. <laughs> yep, yeah, that's real close. <laughs> Rob, uh, the Stanford Center. Yeah, yes, that's a good one. Uh, how many are we at? How many are we at? Um, looks like you're missing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten missing. Okay. Uh, the Compton Family Ice Arena at Notre Dame. Ah, that was my yeah. next one. Jam it. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of them. Nine left, Rob. Uh, a parking lot outside the Stanford Center. I'm going to use that one right now. Uh, uh, that's that counts. Hockey Day Minnesota outdoor. That was not in the Stanford Center. It was outside of the right. Stanford Center. Different. That ice was sheet. one of them. <laughs> that was going to wow. be my last one to use. I'm in. I'm in desperate times now. Uh, How about the First Bank Arena in Bridgeport for the NCAA tournament against Notre Dame? Dame. Yeah, I couldn't remember the name of that one either. I I was at all three tournament games we've had, but I couldn't remember the name of any of the places. Yep. Rob. I want to say the Resch Center at a game with Wisconsin, but I don't know if that's right. Nope, that's too old. That's Ah, too old, okay. Dave wins. Do we have to double out? Because you have to have one to double out. Let's do that. Do it. Do I have to get one in this round, though? Like, sure. Let's do the spelling bee rules. Let's get one. All right. Then, well, then the Robert Morris Ice Arena would probably be the last one for me. Yeah, I can't right. the name of it. Is that what it's actually called? I think it is. Yeah. It's Colon- Robert Morris Colonial Arena or something that like that. That is lame because I didn't guess that one because I didn't think it was that dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well. St. Cloud should have been on there yet, right? Yep. Oh, National Hockey shoot, Center. Sure. St. Cloud is on there. I would have guessed the yep. Rush Center too, but you that must have been like awesome. 08 or 09. So you uh, you missed you missed a few that you're going to Van regret Andel. missing. Van Andel. Uh, and the uh, oh the uh, X the X XL <laughs> yep. Energy Center. Oh, I was even in the, I was at a game at the X. So yep, XL Energy Center, Van Andel, National Hockey Center in St. Cloud, 
the deck in Duluth. Really? You got, yeah. Yeah. Actually, you got you Amsoil and not the deck. Century Link Center in Omaha for okay. Nebraska Omaha. Yeah, we did play there one time probably, huh? Or two games total. And Appleton Arena at St. Lawrence. Yep. <laughs> I had that one waiting. That that was my ace in the hole. Uh, see, like I, I, I had to use my parking lot way too soon. You guys did pretty good though. You got a, you yeah. got a few of the tough ones. I thought the I, I thought the hockey day Minnesota one would throw people off. Except at least three of us went. I don't know if Dave made it to that. So I didn't. No, yeah. I wanted to. I had it booked and just ended up uh, canceling at the last minute. And considering that Dirk had to share the radio broadcast with the the Midgey <laughs> guys, there was, was no room for me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That is that, that's one of my favorite hockey road trips by far. That was a unique and nifty experience. It's a great place to go, and that was a lot of fun. Um, even watching the fire from the window of our hotel, that was kind of cool. Too. <laughs> that, that was a big fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that was kind of fun. Yeah, nice that, one, Dustin. That was definitely a good Liked one. Liked it. Now I got to think of a new one for next week. Yeah. Don't go back another decade. That I'm would be tough. I just managed to outdo Tim on a tribute. Yeah, there you go. All because I was off by three days. <laughs> That's pretty funny, but that was the reason. And I probably wouldn't have gone there if you had gone if you hadn't gone Gila River or whatever. <laughs> uh, let's see. So Dave can probably stick around for these. Maybe maybe he has a better answer for this than what I have. On our Discord chat, we got a couple questions uh, this week. Bose wanted to know how does Bowling Green own the rights to the CCHA name. From what I understand, uh, because they were one of the charter members of the league, when the league broke up, uh, somebody had to, if they wanted to keep them, somebody from the CCHA had to retain the marks. They were one of the last teams left that, that hadn't gone, and somebody wanted to take possession of the trophies, and they were just the ones that agreed to it. The other question we got, I forget who actually asked this, or maybe I didn't want to try and pronounce their screen name, but why do we have, why do bye weeks exist? So I actually went and, you know, I went too far on this one because I wanted to actually find, because I've always been told that the season has to start so many days before the Frozen Four. So I actually dug up the bylaws and rule 17.13.2 and 3 dictates that practice and the first contest cannot incur until the Saturday of the 25th full weekend prior to the start of the the Division I Men Ice Hockey Championship. So that's 25 weeks before regional weekend. And that's how we end up with our season starting on a Saturday because that's how it's written. So we all, you know, typically teams seem to play on that Saturday to give themselves as much time. Basically, every team wants to have buys to, to get breaks, to take rest, usually try and do it around finals and then the Christmas holiday. And then you also want one or two weeks off in between. It's why maybe you don't see us have that many bye weeks as tech because we end up with 36 to 39 possible games some years because of the the fact that the icebreaker. So we have 34 possible games in the normal season and then the icebreaker and or the icebreaker tournament and the hall of fame game and any game played in alaska or hawaii against the team from alaska or hawaii hawaii by a team that's not from alaska or hawaii respectively doesn't count so anytime we go to anchorage anytime we go to fairbanks 
they don't count. When we played in the icebreaker in Duluth, it didn't count. When we played in the Hall of Fame game this year and was it last year or two years ago against Wisconsin, it didn't count. So, you know, the the WCHA teams, except for Alaska and Fairbanks, always have at least 36 games because they're all going to at least Anchorage or Fairbanks. And sometimes they do both and they end up with 38. But a lot of times the teams now are not using them all because of because we've condensed the schedule time we have because we extended our conference tournament extra week when we get, went away from the campus site that it's really hard to get all those games in, find teams to play on the weeks we don't have games, and make that all line up because it's not exactly easy to tell the NCHC that Duluth needs this weekend off for us or whatever. Like it's It's complicated to get all the weekends to line up and everything else and then to get teams that want to play us at home and on the road, not just one or the other. I mean, that's why we're getting Notre Dame for one game next year. Um, basically, we have bye weeks because there's 25 weeks to play all of our games, and then you've got Christmas, the conference tournaments, three weeks of that, and you try and fit it all in. you still got 17 to 18, well, 17 minimum, unless you play weekday games, and nobody really likes those. So anything you want to add to that, Dave, or... Rob I think or, you covered it. Yeah. All right. I think we're pretty much good. So I, I think we did a pretty good job of staying positive this week. Don't you, Dustin? Oh, yeah. Well, that should do it for this episode of the Chasing McNaughton Podcla- podcast. Please check out our Patreon and join by visiting patreon.com slash Guide. Patrons that are black level or above receive an authentic MTU jersey patch and access to extra podcast content including the unpublished Episode Zero and extended versions of every other podcast. Follow us on Twitter at ChasingMacPod or at Tech Hockey Guide. You can submit questions through our email address, ChasingMac at TechHockeyGuide.com, or send a voice message directly at anchor.fm slash ChasingMacPod. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find the podcast on your site of choice, please let us know and we'll make it happen. The more you rate, review, and share, the more people we can reach. So tell your friends. Uh, One more thing on the Patreon. If you sign up for Patreon at the black level or above, there is a special RSS feed link. So you can still listen to our extended version of podcasts on your favorite podcast app, except for a couple. But there's a link on there about which ones work and which ones don't. So it's not like you have to listen on Patreon if you don't want to. Uh, please check out Jonathan's Zameda series previews every Friday. Mike Antleitner's Old Dog in Texas column every Wednesday. You can find all this and more at techhockeyguide.com. Thanks to Dave Ellis for joining us this week. It was great to have you. Guys, thanks a lot. I really appreciated it and uh, hope we can do it again sometime. As always, special thanks to Mitch Lake for rec- uh, recording our introduction and our patron saint, Doc McRezin, for his generous donation to get this thing running. We hope you enjoy. Also, thanks to the thank you notes for all the bumpers in this week's episode. If you like what you hear, check them out at thethankyounotes.bandcamp.com.